0: The Detroit Free Press presents Talkin' Lions, your audio home for all things Honolulu blue and silver. Here is your host from the Detroit Free Press, Dave Burkett. Hey, Burkett
1: here, along with Carlos Menares, post Super Bowl Sunday here on Freep.com. And uh, Carlos, the NFL season has finally come to a close. Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady former Michigan star obviously uh, won another Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs we'll get into that in a minute but uh look the big news locally over the weekend was the Hall of Fame and Kelvin Johnson getting in first ballot wide receiver seventh first ballot wide receiver to get in uh, uh in, in Canton's history and uh look I, I you know I was in the room obviously uh, for that vote I I think we had talked about it before that I had a Good feeling that he was getting in. Didn't know for sure, but, you know, it seemed to be the, the direction the momentum was taking us. But I want to know from you, um, how surprised were you to see Kelvin get in on the first ballot?
0: Um, you know, hang on, Dave. Let me I'm just, I'm a little warm. Let me take off my um, shirt real quick. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Oh, man. All right.
1: <laughs> Big Stafford fan, are you now? Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a new quarterback. I hear he's pretty good. So, um, yeah, uh, surprised, um, you know, the, the whole thing with Calvin went, you know, as, as we talked about it, I mean, we wrote about it. I remember talking a few years ago when he was still playing with the, with the lions and, uh, you know, what his candidacy was like at the time. And, and the concern was, did he play long enough? You know, did he have the longevity? Um, One of the barometers has been like um, I think it's 100 touchdown catches um, and a thousand receptions or something like that. It was kind of things. But the way the ball has gone, I think, you know, like I've said before, I mean, we're all sentimental saps, you know, and you see somebody play and you feel good about it. Um, So maybe that in the end of the at the end of the day is kind of a better barometer of looking at just, you know, Chris Carter's stats and saying, Well, Chris Carter had a lot of stats, you know, was he really the guy you were scared of? Was he the guy that you had to put the vice on, you know, like, like Calvin. So um, I think as, as time went on, it really felt like Calvin is going to get in for sure, but whether he was a first time um, ballot guy, that was the question. Um, But I think, I think it was, to me, it was like a, maybe a 60, 40 that he was a first ballot guy. Um, but the other thing I, like we talked about earlier, I don't think we were too concerned because it wasn't like there was some other receiver right behind them, like a Larry Fitzgerald next year who would bump them back. Like he would have gotten in next year if he didn't get in this year. So I was like, barely, barely surprised he
1: got in. What about you? No, I mean, look, I, I gave his case. I mean, I think people know that out there. I'll have an accompanying story on freak.com here at some point that, you know, I, I, gave the presentation in the room for the, the, the voting committee. Uh, the selection committee on, on Calvin. And, and I thought, um, as I looked at his, you know, not just his numbers, but his legacy, you know, what he meant to the game um, you know, who else was in the class. I thought he, he deservedly, uh, you know, got in. I mean, look in this class, Peyton Manning was a clear cut number one player, right? No one would argue that he, he's the, he's the, you know, say his name, sit down, he's in Charles Woodson. I think in most people's estimation was number two. And I, I think it was pretty clear And then, you know, maybe there was a gap between Woodson and Kelvin at number three. But I think the gap between Kelvin and whoever was number four, John Lynch, maybe, you know, I don't don't know exactly how the numbers shook out, but I think there was a, a pretty sizable gap there, too. Like, Kelvin was just, to your point, Carlos, people sometimes put a little too much into the statistics of it. And you look at the numbers and, oh, he played fewer games and he had fewer touchdowns and didn't have as many, many receptions. But really the eye test. What did he mean to the game? What did he mean to this generation of receivers? How did he define that position? What did defenses have to do to stop him? I think when you took all of that into account, uh, I think that's why Calvin was, you know, a a clear cut hall of fame selection in my eyes and why he ultimately got in on the first ballot and did not have to wait.
0: So I read somewhere um, over the weekend that the Peyton Manning discussion was about 13 seconds how yeah. long was the how long? Yeah, how long was the Woodson discussion and how long was the Calvin discussion? Approximately uh you know, I don't know if I had let's see if I have my notes here somewhere. So while you're looking up the notes, did your did your did the crux of your argument for Calvin come down to guys, I don't want to do this again? Was that was that the people the, felt bad for me? I was God. like,
1: oh, you like me, you don't want to have to hear my voice anymore. <laughs> Tell me right now, put him in. That's, that's essentially what my pitch was. Um, Kelvin was about 39 minutes. Uh, Woodson. I don't have uh, the Woodson numbers and how long that lasted here in my, my notes. Um, or do I hold on? Charles Woodson was about 17 minutes. Um so look, I mean, you know, Peyton was the only like slam dunk, right? You know, as as good as Woodson was, Peyton was the only. I've used this phrase before, right? Jim Brown and sit down, right? That's the standard that some voters sort of adhere to. Like, if you're a first ballot guy, you can say the name. You know, he's a Hall of Famer just based on that, and that's all you need to say. And th- that was Peyton Manning, and I think Woodson was, you know, easily the the second, you know, guy, but he wasn't that. Caliber player either because he had that long stretch sort of at the end of his Oakland career there before he went to Green Bay where you know when he was a free agent frankly people didn't want him you know what I mean like like there was um, you know that was part of him too so I I think he did have to be discussed Kelvin look um, again you know not really at liberty to say who said what and get into a lot of the details but you know I'll just say this that most of the discussion about Kelvin wasn't about Kelvin's you know, his length of his career or how bad the Lions were or, or, you know, any of that stuff. It was about the first ballot stuff. And to me, that just means like, yeah, he's certainly a hall of famer, but do we really want to put him in year one? Like as every voter, you know, every voter sort of has their own guidelines essentially that they follow when it comes to ranking, you know, the, the criteria that's most important to them in terms of evaluating a player's um, you know, football career on field career. And to me, I I tend to go by, you know, is is that player first is he most deserving in this class, right? It doesn't matter to me what receivers did in the past, who else is in the class, how long people have been on the ballot, none of that. I pick the five most deserving guys or the 10 most deserving guys and we cut from 15 to 10. And within that, I sort of define that as are you, were you the best player at your position for some chunk of time, uh, you know, during your career? And I think the answer for Kelvin is clearly yes. I mean, he led the NFL in receiving yards three straight – two straight years. But, but you know, the, the three years when he was an all-pro, he was, he was clearly the best in the game. And you might have been able to extend that the season or two before, you know, the, maybe the season after even where he was in that discussion. So to me, um, I think I talked – my presentation, I can talk a little bit about that because that was what was – you know, the Hall of Fame put that out. I talked less about the numbers and more about the impact he had on the game how he redefined the position, um, what you know he meant to the next generation of receivers, how defenses had to adapt, and he was still able to dominate uh, against what they, they threw at him. So I think that was a large portion of the argument, and I think other people in that room saw it the same way.
0: You also made a really, really interesting point, I believe, about who was throwing him passes, right? I did, absolutely. And, you know, let me <laughs> –
1: all right so here i'll show you and i know the- this
0: is this is part of the matthew stafford hate here it comes
1: here. so this so everyone sees it right the, the lions let's give the lions some credit this is a, a book that they put out they sent to a bunch of the hall of fame voters just it's about 20 pages it's just got a bunch of you know stats and numbers and things and all teams I mean, do that right all the stats but look just sort of a you know a, just so people get an idea of what you know what? I mean. Look, everyone talks about Kelvin and the organization having this this bad relationship, and we all know where that stands financially. But you know, the PR department this is this is relatively standard, you know, procedure for um, other teams. In fact, I have this here. This is you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers sent something like this out. Okay, so a lot of NFL teams they'll put together these sort of mailers. Some of them go by email. The Lions even had a microsite for Calvin, just sort of stating a guy's Hall of Fame case. So. To me, I don't need to get into a lot of the numbers because I, I know them. I see them ahead of time, but you're right. That that's one of the points that I made Carlos and grab my, my numbers here. All right. Kelvin Johnson's quarterbacks. This is essentially the first half of his career, right? I mean, he played with Matthew in 2009. He was a rookie in 2010. Stafford barely played seven, eight, nine, John Kitna, JT O'Sullivan, Dan Orlovsky, Dante Culpever, Drew Stanton, Drew Henson, Sean Hill. I mean, those were the quarterbacks throwing him the bulk of the the passes that he caught the first four years of his career. That's half of his career. And so I do. I think that matters when you look at, you know, what Reggie Wayne and Torrey Holt and some of these other receivers uh, that were up for election and and will be in Canton one day had by their side. You know, those guys uh, and you can see, you know, a portion of my presentation on, on the website. But those guys, Torrey Holt had he played with. I got the number here. Torrey Holt played with six quarterbacks that made, you know, Pro Bowl appearances during his career, during his 11 seasons. Reggie Wayne played with 11 quarterbacks that made Pro Bowls. That's Peyton Manning and, and Andrew Luck in 14 seasons. Kelvin one, Matthew Stafford as an alternate, right? Reggie Wayne, 10,000-yard receivers, 6,000-yard rushers. Torrey Holt, uh, eight 1,000-yard rushers, seven 1,000-yard receivers. Kelvin had one 1,000-yard rusher, one 1,000-yard receiver. So – you know, we talk about, you know, people doing it by themselves and, and it's not to say he was surrounded by by bad talent, but, you know, the defenses could focus on him and only him because of the talent that he had around him at times. And he was still able to produce at this ungodly level. And so, you know, I think that to me, at least that made an impact as when you look at what other people have around you and you say, this is what Kelvin is doing when he has no one else around him. And he's got, you know, this collection of guys thrown to him and no one to take the the heat off as a thousand yard back. So I think that all
0: all, you know fed into his candidacy a little bit well you said something that i want to kind of circle back on and then i want to move it forward to how it affects your future um is my future your future yeah. um and the lion's future is is you said you know that you made a presentation and you think the the best 10 guys you need to you know should get in whatever that you should vote on the 10 best guys okay. uh, five guys um and you know i think that's right Um, but this is something I've always not liked about the way that the the pro football hall of fame voting goes is you have to have an advocate, you know, you have to have somebody put up a good defense. And it's not to say that the people don't, you know, or they have their, their, their choices, but sometimes, you know, it depends on how compelled you feel, you know, uh, to make that defense. It also, sometimes, as you know, uh, there are just consider human considerations of, I don't want to keep presenting this guy. And I feel like we're torturing this guy by not letting him in. And he's waited long enough and come on guys. And everybody kind of gets tired of presenting somebody after a while. And maybe you feel they are deserving, but for whatever reason, other guys come in and they bump them down or they have to keep waiting. And then it goes to a senior committee. I don't like that part of it where you have to have an advocate and spinning it forward. Now that Indominus Sioux has a Super Bowl ring, he's going to have a lot more serious consideration for the Hall of Fame. I think he gets in. I think he will get in at some point, whether it's the first ballot. Now, as you and I, full disclosure, did not have a great relationship with Indominus Sioux. It was very, like most writers in Detroit, it was contentious. I'm not going okay. to your, your advocacy for him or whatever. They shouldn't even be at that point. I think they need to come, to, come up with a better system of whoever covered them has to present a dispassionate case, like a video that all pro football hall of fame, whatever voters, you know, open it up to more people voting. You can have a presentation, but you don't have to be in a room like, you know, 12 angry men and convincing every single one of them that, you know, his guy gets in and he shouldn't, and I'm tired of presenting them. So because the soothing is going to be, it's going to be hard. It's going to be, t- it's going to be weird.
1: I, you know, I, uh, I understand what you're saying, but I, I disagree. Look, I, I mean, I think – I agree. Look, first of all, Indomitian Sioux, you're, you're right. He, he might get into the Hall of Fame one day, and he, he probably will, just based on the case. I mean, I don't have – in fact, I do have the numbers by me. So, I'm, you know, this is the benefit. Did the Bucks
0: already put out – did, did, did uh, Bill Keenest already send you the Indomitian Sioux, uh, you know, uh, journal or whatever? So, look, defensive lineman
1: in the Hall of Fame, Indomitian Sioux in Detroit, five seasons in Detroit, he was a first team AP all pro selection three times, three times. You want to know how many, uh, all pro select, how many, uh, hall of fame linemen have more than that. And this isn't even verifying these numbers that are in this book. I mean, like they're not a lot. Yeah, no, there, there's not, there's not. Well, okay. Let me say three is the minimum. All right. There, I can't count them up that have more. There, there's definitely a lot of guys that have more, but you know, like Reggie White had 10, Jack Youngblood, five, you know, uh, John Randall, six. So there's a lot of guys that have more. Bob Lilly had eight, right? But three is is sort of the standard. Like three is is the baseline. When you get three, you start getting in, into consideration. And when you get a, a Super Bowl ring, that's that's a big part of it too. And not only that, you were a starter on a really good defense, you know, that that won. So I do think you you're right. You had one and a half sacks. You led, the, you led the game in sacks. I do think you're right that Indominus Su will be in the discussion one day. I don't know you know, I, I guess I haven't taken the time to study his career and all those numbers, um, you know, versus some of these other guys in this book that we have here. This is, again, the behind the scenes, right? I get this book from the Hall of Fame every year on the, the finalists. And it just it, it lays out some of the numbers, sacks and all pro nominations and, you know, championships and all that. So sort of a statistical comparison. I do know from covering a Dominican Sioux, when he was in Detroit, he was a dominant player. I mean, there's no question about that. His, his five years in Detroit, he was dominant. I'm going to have to talk to a few more people about the years in Miami and with the Rams and uh, you know, here in Tampa, obviously just to see how they felt opponents, coaches, that sort of thing. But when he was in Detroit, you know, I can speak for that time that he was a dominant player. And to your point, Carlos, about the, the uh, presentations, look, there, there's no doubt that the human element plays into it sometimes. Right. I, I, I do think that people, you know, this guy's waited long enough. We got to get him in um, you know, maybe they're sick of hearing about him. Maybe they feel bad for him. They know him. He's a good guy, whatever the case is, you know, some of that can play in, but for the, by and large, when you get into that room and you're one of the final 15 finalists, you're a hall of fame caliber player and history shows that you're going to get into Canton eventually. And so maybe there are more, you know, first ballot guys or what, you know, whatever there's more deserving guys, however you want to define that. Um, But I, I think by and large, you know, the, the arguments, the presentations, you said, dispassionate, like these aren't people that are like crying about how great a player he was. And you got to put this guy in and, Oh, he meant so much to me. I mean, a lot of it is statistical based. And a lot of it, as I said, with Calvin, you know, you sort of go beyond the statistics and what he meant. And so, um, you know, I like the, the way that, that we do it in football versus the way baseball does it, where it's just, you know, mindlessly filling out a ballot and ranking your players there's a lot of discussion that goes into it. I think that, you know, that helps. Um, certainly we talk to people on our own, you know, about these candidates uh, to get their impressions. And we have our own views from having covered them and watched them. But I think that discussion goes a long way to, to learning more about somebody and, you know, right or wrong, I guess, to, to convincing, you know, people on how to how to stack some of the, the finalists. So um, I like the fact that we have that as long as those days are, uh, and you're right. It, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, a Sue and I was thinking about it. I mean Stafford. You know who knows if he ever gets in the discussion. He needs to win something first, right? I, you know, I'm not. We're not going to rehash that debate. But Dwight Freeney, Haloti not There's some other guys that played briefly for Detroit here in the last, you know, five or six years that will be in, you know, that discussion in the not too distant future.
0: Yeah, it's only. I mean Sue. Um, and they weren't. They weren't. They weren't.
1: They weren't. You know, significant pieces of what was going on in Detroit, like a Kelvin was. Right. I won't be making the presentation, but certainly when they play in an era, not especially because he was here for a couple years, even though he was hurt. You know, I'll, I'll say you know a minute of of what he did in his time in Detroit. That that will be part of the presentation. Baltimore will handle that. I'm sure I would handle the soothing if. And when Sue is in there, whereas, you know, Armando Salguera in Miami, he probably speaks second on Sue because he covered him for, for a couple of years in Miami there.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, like that people can, you know, discuss things and add, add context, maybe to somebody's career. Well, yeah. I still think you could do that with still having an open ballot and still having some contextual opportunity to, to listen. I mean, maybe there's a good hybrid blend down the road or something. I just, I just don't like the, I just don't like the the kind of lawyery part of this, of the advocacy, and you know, and I mean, and, and to be fair, I mean, listen, you, you, my closing argument, your honor. Well, you know, you and I have covered sports in a, a long time, and I certainly know a lot of. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you a, I'll give you an example of something like a, a famous example. Um, that I heard about, I was not part of this, but I heard about it, and I think people in LA knew about this, is Rod Carew, when he was with the um, Angels, um, he was hard to deal with. He was he was a jerk to the writers, and later down the road, something happened where his his one of his daughters needed some kind of a blood transfusion or something, and he actively asked the writers, you know, he'd been retired, to ask help for them, you know, from them to publicize that she needed a I don't, it was a, it was a kidney transplant. It was some kind of big surgical thing. And some people had a problem with that. They were like, you were a jerk to us. And now you're asking for our help, you know? And that was a very difficult situation for a lot of the writers. Some people like, how can you be this inhuman, right? This is his poor daughter and this and that. But sometimes that comes down to it. I mean, you, I, I will say this for all the viewers here, you know, Dave is a very, you know, forgiving person. He works with me all the time. So that tells you a lot. Um, but you know, some people are not as generous. Some people would say Sue was a jerk to me. Sue was a whatever. And not that they would actively campaign against him, but they wouldn't give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, he was a dirty player and he may not have gotten two sacks in that one game if he didn't step on Evan Dietrich Smith or, you know, I I mean that kind of stuff. Right. Or even worse than that, when someone's up is, you know, like in Dominion Sue, you know, he had 62 sacks. Good player. All right, I'm done. Anybody want to talk? You know, like it could be very, um, you know, milk toasty. So that's what I don't like about it. It's too, too much of the human element, I think, works into the the process.
1: It's a valid it's a valid point. And, you know, I, I've certainly have thought about that myself. I mean, not me, but, you know, you, you see a case like Terrell Owens, who takes three ballots to get in. You know, that was a guy that I thought deserved to go in right away uh and didn't get in and i don't know if that was so much for how he treated reporters or just you know the general oh
0: absolutely he was a jerk well but a jerk i, I mean I, I, he was a jerk to teammates
1: yes I, I think that's what people you know that's what held him back more than how we treated reporters because i don't know i never had any dealings with him but i thought he deserved to go in on the first ballot and i would have voted for people who don't know how the hall of fame vote works 15 players, right? You vote your top 10 out of that. So every, all 48 voters vote a top 10 and then the top 10, you know, finalists come back and then everyone picks a top five. So it's not like you just pick five of the 15, right? So essentially then you're voting yes or no on the final five going into those processes. Tio would have been in my top five every single time. And was he in the top 10? I don't remember if he was, I would have voted for him in the top five because I thought Tio deserved to be in. So but I, I do wonder in the back of my head, if, if maybe that's what kept them out, you know, it, it probably was, but listen, I, I, I think people out there hopefully know me a little bit by now, but even through this thing that like, first of all, I love Governor Sue, you know, he was, he was good for business and, and yeah, he wasn't <laughs> always you know, like the, you know, the, the best guy to deal with, but let's be honest, he did. Uh, Carlos you told this story before about you know sitting down with him at at some point when you know he realized that maybe things weren't going great for him in Detroit and he reached out to the media and I did sit down with him after he left Detroit and you know every time I've, I've had dealings with him since Super Bowls or whatever you know he's always been pleasant to deal with and and you know he was a really good player and beyond that I don't think you can take this business personal at all like you know, think about it with, with GMs and coaches, right. We have to be critical of them at times. And when I see them after the fact or outside of the football realm, like, and they can be angry at me for things that I write, but you still got to go up and say hi and shake their hand and how are you and how's the family. And, and so I, I think there's a very, I think you, you very much in this business have to be able to separate business from personal and whatever criticism I've had about players or coaches in the past, whatever criticism they may have had about me uh, in the past, I think it's all fair. It's all part of this job, but outside of football, I at least like to think that I'm able to, to separate some of that and judge a player by his merits on the field, judge a person by their merits away from the locker room, whatever it is. And so, um, and I, I'd like to think that even though I know the human element does come into it, I'd like to think most people in that Hall of Fame room on the selection committee are the same. And so when it comes time for, um, you know, me to give Indama Kinsu's uh, you know, presentation or whoever to, to, to talk about, you know, someone else, um, I'd like to, to think that we would all give them the, the fairest shake. If you believe in them as a hall of fame candidate, um, you know, and you can speak to what they meant to the organization that you covered, what they did during their time there. Uh, I think that's all that, that you can really do in that room. And I think that that's all that, that most people do.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I hope, I, I hope that's true. You know, I hope that's, I, I, I think so. I mean, you, you can easily look up the people who are on the hall of fame selectors committee and they're all veteran journalists they have all covered the league a long time. So, um, you know, I think it's, I think there's probably fewer people who would ever take it against or, or hold it against somebody for, you know, not being helpful, um, you know, and I think, I think the days of kind of like the Ryan Leafs out there spitting on people and that, that that's kind of gone away. I think people have been a little smarter. Um, well, shoot, we might not get in the locker room ever again. Who knows? So, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you know, per- personally for me, I mean, like it, I can see where like people, I mean, when Sue sat down with you was after the, his time in Detroit was over and he was trying to put a little sheen on the career. Like remember, me well, Dave Briquette. you know, talk, speak well of me when, you know, in the future. And, and I'm pretty sure when his time is coming in five years after he's retired, he's probably going to reach out to you again and have another uh, a really short steak dinner. Um, well done. And um, so I, I think that's coming in your future. Um, and that's kind of the thing where like how self-serving is this? And, and you know, you are the kind of generous person who is accepting and and you take it all with a grain of salt and understand, you know, that he's going to be advocating for himself. Um, you know, so
1: but aren't they all right? Don't they all like you know at the at the end well, of the day, they all everybody wants good for themselves. So yeah, I think you you know you understand that.
0: But yeah, know. but the difference the difference is someone like Calvin was was not a jerk to us. He was a good dude the whole time, and you know, and even after when he was close to retiring and he and he held these different camps or whatever, you know, he'd sit he'd sit and talk to us, and he wasn't you know a jerk to us. And and Sue was a jerk. I mean, he could be a jerk to us. You know, he could bark at us and whatever. Um, you know, that's, that's the difference to me. If, if your
1: personality, you know, that he would get cranky with, with people a little bit, I, you know, whatever. I just never, I mean, Sue so kind of, you know, that, that is who he is, was who he was, right. That he just didn't like to deal with the media a lot of times. And, you know, there was a lot going on outside of football and, and, you know, certainly, you know, some of those clouds hanging over his head, I think, um, you know, that, impacted the way that he viewed us in, in the job. But like I said, you know, I I enjoyed covering Sue. And um, I do. I Carlos, I'm with you. I think, you know, that that winning that Super Bowl yesterday, you know, he's gonna be a guy that he's gonna get in that room at some point. Like I don't know if it's gonna be year one or what, or you know, maybe he's got to play a little bit more. I don't know what all the numbers are, but uh, you know, Indominus Sue will have a case to be made at some point.
0: And he is it is one of those, he's one of those guys, you know, um as a defensive tackle, it's just not all about numbers. You know Um, he's got to have somebody provide context and it's going to be someone like you Of listen, half the time he, he only played with, you know, whoever was helping him on the end, maybe, you know, Cliff Averill or whatever it was, you know, didn't have that many amazing players around him. Who was his defensive tackle, Nick Farrell, you know, you're going to have to say, he did a lot of these things by himself. You're going to have to imbue that, that argument with context. And that's where you better, that Dave briquette you know is is a very nice fair person
1: to you lions fans know he was a bad man on the field man those five years he was as good a defensive lineman interior defensive lineman as there was in the nfl i mean he was he was a really good player and and i you know i say that you know meaning that he would you know when i call him a bad man like he he was that that's a good thing right like on the field like he was he was he was a tough dude to deal with on the field, and he caused a lot of havoc for players. And that doesn't mean I buy his foot was frozen or you know any of that stuff, right? When when he stepped on Aaron Rodgers, and I don't buy any of that. But he was a good player, and so you know, again, I think you you, know, you look at you look at that in, in the context of all that he did, and, and that's why I say his his case is going to be one that's going to be talked about uh, at one of these meetings at some point down the road.
0: And you know what? Here is one thing: is it's interesting with Sue. Is I don't know if this I don't know how much this will come up, but like, let's just say like a John McClain or someone who's covered the the you know Houston or whatever for a long time, right? Is what if he's buddies with Matt Schaub and you know Sue Sue kicking Schaub in the Schaub's, you know, like that kind of stuff, you know, or the Green Bay guy or whatever, like stepping on different people and you know all this kind of stuff, you know, like. Like if you're kind of friends with this person, like, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he's in the hall of fame already,
1: man. There's some, there's some nasty players in the hall of fame too. Like that's,
0: that's part of the game, you know, but different era though, different era. There are really, he was, he's by far the dirtiest player in the last 10, 15 years, probably. Right. I mean, the, the old Raiders and stuff like that, that, uh, that that's a bygone era. (laughs)
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. He he racked up a lot of fines and got into a little bit of trouble, you know, with the league and, and whatnot. But that was, you know, I mean, again, to part of your point of context, right? Like the Lions needed some of that and they wanted some of that because you think about when Jim Schwartz came in, like that was one thing that they, they needed to change the look and feel of the team. And they just weren't a tough team and they weren't a team that anyone feared. And defensively, they certainly weren't. And Sue brought that to that defense. So Uh, to your point you know uh, having context to that and you know I don't think he's gotten much trouble since he left Detroit so you know it'll be interesting maybe when I do sit down and talk with him after the season how much he had to embrace that that personality you know just based on where he was and and whatnot cultivate that image for for everything that that became in fact I think someone asked him if I'm not mistaken someone I don't remember his answer but I, I think someone asked him you know, about uh, that and just his reputation at one of the Super Bowl, you know, media sessions this year. And he's kind of laughed and, you know, he said he's he's still, you know, he's still, a, 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 I don't remember what he said. So I don't, I don't want to put that out there. But, you know, but, you know, if that video is out there, go look it up somewhere because somebody did ask him about that this year and how the reputation has changed over the years and who he is now. So. Uh, something to something definitely to watch here, but uh, so you're talking about the Super Bowl and Sue and everything. So let's let's discuss the Super Bowl, right? Calvin's in the Hall of Fame, Sue, he'll be talked about one day. Really good Hall of Fame class, Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson. I mean, it's those are a couple of phenomenal, uh, you know, players in, the, in that class. Uh, Tom Brady will be there one day, right? He's a Jim Brown and sit down guy, Patrick Mahomes is too, even though I know Carlos, I know you're going to give me grief because of what I said last week that he's the heir apparent and he's. He's Brady Jr. and what did you call him? What did, what did I call him? I don't know. Generational player. Yeah, he's a generational, generational he player. Is, and, and I don't think, regardless of what happened yesterday, and I know that offense didn't look good and they didn't score a touchdown. That doesn't change the fact at all that Patrick Mahomes is a generational talent at quarterback. He's a future Hall of Famer. I feel comfortable saying that after four years, he's he is he is the heir apparent to Tom Brady, and he will be winning himself
0: a couple more Super Bowls down the road. You're telling me – you're telling me that you're guaranteeing me that he's going to be a better player and a more successful – like win more championships than like uh, Lamar Jackson, um, Deshaun Watson. You can guarantee that.
1: Well, I mean, sorry. my Stuff on my desk was falling over here after I pulled out that that Hall of Fame book. Um I mean, I can't guarantee it, but regardless – I mean, do you watch what Patrick Mahomes can do on the field? Like there is – There was a a play yesterday that the one or a picture that, that got to find this, this meme on the, the internet somewhere, that one play where Patrick Mahomes, he's fallen down. It's, you know, fourth and goal or fourth, you know, and he's thrown from the 30 yard line and he's like parallel to the ground, like this far off the ground. And he's slinging this pass and it hit his receiver in the helmet and he dropped it and everything. He looked like, you know, I don't know. You know, the guys from Dodgeball, right? The movie, like throwing, like flying through the air <laughs> sideways, whatever. Like it was just, it was one of those things where, like, how do you, th- how? he's the only quarterback that makes that throw and puts it on the money. And he had a couple, his team had a couple big drops yesterday and he was under pressure the entire day because they're playing two backup offensive tackles. So Patrick Mahomes did not have a great day yesterday. And, 20 years from now when you and I are debating or our kids are debating because they replace us and they're debating who's the greatest quarterback of all time. uh, You know, ultimately they'll probably say, you know what, Brady beat Patrick Mahomes head to head, but Patrick Mahomes is a phenomenal player who can do things that no other quarterback in the NFL can do. And I feel 100% comfortable saying that Patrick Mahomes will be a Hall of Fame player one day, and he's the the only player currently in the NFL who has a chance to to match Brady's goatness.
0: You know, I I will say that um, this will probably get me in trouble, but Mahomes reminds me of Michael Vick, Um, the dynamic ability that he has to make plays, to extend plays, um, and also pretty good arm strength. Um, I don't know if he was quite as accurate on deeper throws, I don't remember that much. The only thing Vic couldn't do was slide; couldn't slide to save his life. But, um, but I, he was he was amazing for his first few years, and obviously time caught up with him. Enough hits. I mean, Mahomes took a beating last night—a beating. Even if he wasn't sacked, he got hit quite a bit, um, right. brought down and stuff. Um, you know that one—that one sack by Sue or whatever it was—the the half sack. I mean, I, that looked bad. I thought he was almost concussed, but. Um, You can only keep doing that for so long. You can only keep making those throws, you know, laying out and maybe yeah, Super Bowl. It's the time to do that. Um, But that kind of ability, it it requires a young man, a young man's, um, you know, mobility and ability to to come back from injury um, that you tend to kind of get slowed down a little bit. Usually in the NFL, these scrambling quarterbacks, you know. They don't do it. Look at like Aaron Rodgers, right? He doesn't do it as much as he used to do it either. Um, so I just don't know. I don't, I, I don't know that, not that I've watched that much, you know, obviously Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson haven't been in the playoffs as much as, as Mahomes has. Um, but those guys have, I think, close to the same talent. Um, Mahomes probably better, you know, a little bit, but, a lot but you got to do it for, you got to do it for about eight to 10 years before you call somebody a generational talent. I would say generational
1: talent. Um, but I mean, I, I think your, your, your point is right, but not about Mahomes. I mean, running, you know, the, that mobile element is part of his game. It certainly is. And that's why, you know, I mean, you saw it early in the game yesterday, right. Where he was able to run for a couple first downs and that's part of what makes Kansas city so dangerous, but he is not Lamar Jackson, right. Lamar Jackson, like that is a huge part of his game, right. He's, he's more like Vic in that regard. Whereas Mahomes has the huge arm and he's, just the way that he spins the ball and the things that he does are are unreal. I mean, he's on the same level a passer as the Tom Brady's and the Drew Brees and these other guys. And I'm just not talking about arm strength. I'm talking everything that goes into passing the football. And so that's why I feel that you're right that at some point Mahomes is going to slow down the that element of his game, the 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 mobile element of his game, but he's still a good enough quarterback that he will still be able to be successful. And Listen, as we saw last night, right, and as we've we've known for a long time here in Detroit, you know, you, you can't win Super Bowls by yourself. So the Chiefs have to keep surrounding him with the right talent, and that means Tyreek Hill and whoever they replace him with, and Kelsey and whoever the next tight end is, and a good offensive line and a good defense. So that's why I say I don't know how many Super Bowls he's going to win, but, you know, Dan Marino didn't win any Super Bowls, right? Uh, you know Peyton Manning won two, and Peyton Manning was a great quarterback. He won two Super Bowls. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, I just think is on, on that will be on that level as a player when all is said and done, regardless of how many Super Bowl rings he has.
0: That's fair. That's fair. So a uh, quarterback can't do it all. Obviously, like Marino, pr- perfect example of that. So uh, probably Stafford for you in a few years. So um, yeah, that's 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 totally fair. But I'm just saying. Oh, it's, it's, this is, is this his fifth year as a starter or fourth? This was his third year
1: as a starter. That's the thing, right? 17 was when he was drafted, right? And he didn't play. 18, first year starting, MVP. It lost in the AFC championship game. 19, you know, won the Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson was MVP, but he was Super Bowl MVP. 20, you know, could have been MVP. I mean, he was probably what, top three? Forget what the voting was. Um, Makes it to a Super Bowl. So, you know, so early in his career, 25 years old. He's got the world in front of him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's definitely on the path for sure.
1: Uh, before we wrap this up, I mean, you know, look, obviously it wasn't a great game, so we're not going to talk about that much, but um, just as you look ahead to next year, Ram. I mean, I did say Rams. Wow. Since you <laughs> Rams, Bucks, Chiefs, let's throw them all out there. Do you have a favorite right now as you sort of, as you sort of, you know, think ahead to 2021 and, and how this thing, you know, may play out, uh, you um, know, Without knowing the draft, without knowing free agency, who do you, who do you like right now?
0: Yeah, that's a that's the tough one. Um, well, the the I, I'm sure you read my betting story from last week on uh, how the how the odds changed and how Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff Goff didn't do much for the Lions. By the way, they're still among they're like neck and neck with the worst odds in the NFL um, for the Super right Bowl right now. Uh, the Rams are up there; they're like tied for like third. Um, as high as like second, um, in some places. Um, but I do, I, I mean, you know, the, I think the chiefs, you know, the chiefs, if they, if they can, you're right. It it was, it was a matter of health for that offensive line for them. You know, if Patrick Mahomes gets more, gets a little, um, uh, more protection and I don't think the defense played well. I don't remember that the defense had, um, injuries that stood out, but they, they took some, took some bad, some bad penalties. They just looked, they didn't look, um, I don't know, just very effective. And they were also a little undisciplined with some stupid penalties. So um, I, you know what though, Dave, i sentimentally, I, you know, I'm going to write about this as Tom Brady, I, I, you know, I used to be a hater. I'll be honest. I, did, I hated the whole Patriot thing. Just win, 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 you know, it got boring. Right. Yeah. But now he's 43 and wins he finally tied Robert Ori for seven championships um, so now he's in that Robert Ori class you know and I just love I just love the idea that he should have never even had a career really you know it was kind of a mistake he's kind of the the you know the Kurt Warner on steroids you know like it, it was even better than Kurt Warner um, and it kind of just proves how and even Mahomes right tenth pick right Um just inside of the top 10. And meanwhile, the lions and the Rams are swapping number one picks, you know, to try to get rid of each other's guy. Um, so I would love for Brady to win eight. I think that would be really cool. I like Bruce Arians as a coach. Um, and it's nice that they, it, and it gives hope to everybody because they, they hadn't made the playoffs in how long and they have 12 years or whatever it was. And now they make the playoffs They get Brady, the right guy, they surround him with the right pieces. They have the right coach. It all works together. Um, but you have to give the, you have to give the chiefs, although that's hard, right? Making that three straight. You know, that's bills territory. So uh, that'd be tough. Yeah. You just want Drew Stan
1: to get a second ring. That's what you want next year with the bucks. Look, the
0: key to everything, by the way. Absolutely. No, I mean,
1: you know, Brady's a, a great story. I mean, look, I'm with you. Like, you know, it was sort of like the, the Marino Elway debate, right? Like my roommate in college, like he was a big Elway guy growing up. I was a Marino guy, you know? So we'd sort of joke about that sometimes like uh, Brady Manning, right? Like I was probably more a Manning guy than a Brady guy, but you come to respect the greatness and be like, this is just phenomenal what this guy does and seven rings. And so, um, you know, I I appreciate watching his greatness. Um, The chiefs will be in the mix because of Patrick Mahomes but they won't have Eric Fisher next season. You know, I mean, that Achilles injury in January, you're not coming back from that, you know, in time to play next season. So they do have some work to do on the offensive line. Um, the Buffalo Bills, man, watch out for them. Like, that was a really good team this year. And Josh Allen took a huge leap as a player. So I wouldn't rule them out of the uh, the AFC race. I think that's a team that, that certainly could be in the mix next year. And the NFC one, that's the one that's wide open to me and that we're going to have to see how these quarterback dominoes shake out, because depending on who the quarterback is in San Francisco, I could certainly see the 49ers, a healthy 49ers team being back uh, in the Super Bowl next year. Next year, it's in L.A., the Super Bowl. I mean, the Rams, you know, I think they'll be better. But and I guess they were what, uh, you know, uh, NFC divisional team this year. Um, The Packers, too, man. Look, if if Aaron Rodgers stays there and he gets his wish and they actually, you know, do something this year and use some of their their draft picks on guys that will help them and maybe spend something in free agency, like that's still the team to beat in the NFC North. And I don't think the NFC North is going to be all that good next year. So if you're looking at a team that might have some home field advantage, and might be able to make a run. That's another team to keep an eye on. Got a long way to go until we get to the, to that point. Um, And it'll be interesting to see if Rodgers can keep playing at that high level at his age, you know, he's getting up there near the Brady years. So, um, but there's, it, it was honestly, you know, there's there's some tremendous talent in the NFL right now, some tremendous quarterback talent, and it's 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 fun to watch, you know, from afar some of these guys just sling it around, and that's really what, you know, we need to see the Lions get here in Detroit is is just get one of those guys that you can just know will be your quarterback for ten years, and then all of a sudden
0: you look up and you're uh you're in the mix for for contending for Super Bowls, so. Well, that's something else that I'm that I'm that I'm touching on with this whole you know, quarterback thing with Brady and not always knowing what you what you really need sometimes, you know, and, you know, seventh pick in the draft doesn't mean you're going to get the guy who's going to take you for seven or 10 or whatever it is. So he said 10 years, you know, and that was that was the one thing I'll say. I hope that they the Lions learned their lesson from Matthew Stafford is at some point. At some point it's, it's, it's better to cut bait and to just say, and to be tough about it and say, listen, we've already, we've extended him once he's in his whatever seventh year. It hasn't happened. We need to keep our eyes open here. We need to look at this thing, you know, in a very calculated fashion and see if there's I mean, look at, look at the Packers, right? They, They drafted a quarterback in the first round that probably pissed off Aaron Rodgers enough to go win MVP but they've never been afraid of that. They've never been afraid of drafting a quarterback somewhat high um, just in case, because you can't just hope that it keeps working. And especially when you're not winning, you know, like it's, that's always the hope Dave. And that's you're part of the problem in the NFL is you're the guy like, I want my Manning. I want my, I want my Brady. I want my 20 year great quarterback. That's always going to win. Like that's the hope, but sometimes you don't get that. Sometimes you get, you know, a guy who just, is good but not good enough and you got to be willing to cut the you know
1: I agree I agree because if you move on if you don't have one of those guys you're always looking for them and so you need right to, and you can look the higher the level of the quarterback right the more chance you have to, to win right so but uh if you if you I'm with you 100% there Carlos uh and I think more NFL teams are starting to feel that way as the quarterback salaries continue to escalate that there becomes a point in time where it doesn't make sense to pay them because they are not that Patrick Mahomes they are not that Aaron Rodgers type quarterback and so why would i spend all that money like yeah there's a fear of the unknown out there but let's roll the dice and see what we can do because this guy's only going to take us so far so i got no problem with teams that do that i think that's a wise way to operate in the nfl and i think if fan bases are realistic
0: about their teams you know that's something that that they should realize too so uh, and I hope the lines. I hope the lines show us. I mean, obviously, the Stafford thing is is a nice start, um, but it, you know, kind of came from him too. But but I I'd like to see if this regime is going to be less risk averse. You know, willing to trade commodities and say we're we're building a different way. We're we're building for the future. We're building. You know, yep. we're not just going after the the star guy. Whatever we're gonna. You know. Uh, get the right pieces and make it work holistically rather than it's Matthew Stafford and the lions. You know, um, I like that
1: thought. So. No, I, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I like that thought because I'm hundred. That's why I say uh, Trey Lance at number seven, right? Roll the dice. I don't know. No, or, or trade down from number seven and get another future pick. So that way you got, uh, you know, five first round picks in 2022 and 2023, roll the dice that way. I'm, I'm with you hundred percent, Carlos. I think that
0: I think, they, you know it. what? I mean, as much as I would like to see them pick a quarterback and I think most people would, it'd be exciting to get like a Trey Lance or a Justin field, whoever it is, right. Somebody or move up and get a new quarterback. And that's exciting. If they don't feel it, and they have enough guys in the room now with the John Dorsey's, you know, if they don't feel it, like this is not the guy for us. And we have us, we have an, an extra first rounder coming next year. Just wait, let's just wait. Let's just see. It doesn't have to happen right now. Um, you know, I, I'm not against that at all. Well,
1: uh, my first mock draft, probably looking at next week. So we'll see who I give him in that one, whether it's a quarterback, whether it's a defensive player, wide receiver, who knows? They need help uh, all across the board. Um, we'll leave it there because uh, we, we ran long as always. And uh, But uh, no, interesting discussion because Calvin gets in. I think he was well-deserving. Sue makes a case that he should too one day and uh, lots to talk about. At the end of the season, with the Super Bowl wrapping up and the draft coming up and free agency and
0: all that, go ahead, last word, Carlos. That's okay. One question, just right now, gut feeling: Does Sue get in? Not in first ballot, but just does he get in? Ooh, <laughs> you
1: know, I, honestly, I can't speak to the Miami years enough um, to say what. Come on, gut feeling. Uh, I think he was trend. I think he was on that track in Detroit, um, but. I don't know how the Miami years are going to be viewed when you're paid that much money and you know, you get cut. And so your, your time there is sort of seen as a disappointment. I don't know how that's going to be perceived, but there's no doubt after five years in Detroit, I thought he was on a hall of fame track.
0: So. No question. No question. Because he was dominant for that time. He's still been a very good player and he got cut, but he tried to find a championship. He tried to join the Rams. He probably could have gotten better money elsewhere, but he wanted to play next to Aaron Donald to get a championship. And when that didn't work out, he went to Tampa and he got a championship. So I, I I like a player looking for a title versus just the the Miami thing I think was kind of a money grab. But after that it was, I want to ring and he got one and he was a big part of it. He knew what he needed for his hall of fame resume
1: (laughs) without a doubt. He did. Uh, All right. We'll leave it there. Uh, Good discussion today. Uh, uh, again, uh, we got a, a little bit of a lull here. Lines probably will have some moves coming up, just some roster moves here in the next week or two. You know, salary cap uh, dumps, I guess. Kenny Galladay's contract, something they have to figure out. The coordinators will be announced or introduced, I guess, here. Uh, probably later this week, we'll get to talk to them. Uh, and then free agency in the draft right around the corner. And as always, we will be here to discuss all that. But uh, until then, for Carlos Menares, I'm Dave Briquette, Freep.com.